Hello and welcome. In today's episode, Ian and I are joined by the one and only Jay Kristoff. Jay is a number one international New York Times and USA Today best-selling author of fantasy and science fiction. He is the winner of six Aurealis Awards and ABIA, has over half a million books in print, and is published in over 35 countries. In the media section, we chat Joker, Batman, The King, and Lord of the Rings. We also gush plenty about Val Kilmer. For the topic, we talk about the role of a jobbing writer and the balance between deadlines and writing what you want. As always, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. We are back at the Brunswick Street Bookstore, and I am once again, for the second time in a row, joined by my co-host Ian. Ian, how are you going? Welcome back. Yeah, no, good, Joel. It's um, it's it's hot today in yes. Melbourne. Very hot for November, but I'm staying cool. I don't know, but correct me if I'm wrong. Do Melburnians complain about the weather more than any other state I, in I Australia th- and the world? When you've got a good reason to, I'd say it's okay. And look, the weather is a topic anywhere in the world, but here in Melbourne, we love it. But it's like living in the Sahara, and then you're like, yeah. man, these Melburnians complain about the heat a lot. It's not like we get it that bad, but mm. when we do... I think it's because we don't get it enough to be unremarkable. Ah. That's why, you know, and especially this, this early in the year. Um, I normally view it that we get like a heat wave around the Australian Open. You normally see a player That's collapse. true, which is the worst time to host the Australian yeah, Open. something melts. Someone, you know, someone melts. Dies. Yeah. Yeah, someone melts. <laughs> and uh, normally that's curious. And then, you know, oh. sorry, meltdown. Oh. And anyway, <laughs> the whole thing happens and then you kind of, you head off. But it's true. It's true. <laughs> Anyway, but no, look, uh, it, it's hot and I'm staying cool. That's the main thing. Fantastic. Uh, well, it's good to have you. We have a guest, as we usually do. Jay, welcome to the podcast. Hey, mate. It's welcome back. back. Yeah. Yes, it's yeah, been a it's while. Awesome. How it have you been? been? I have been great. Yes. Uh, yeah, You've I've been, been busy. I have been busy. I've only been back in the country for, I think, two weeks. Uh, and I was away for 10, which is the longest I've ever been away from home. Nice, wow. yeah. So it's nice to be back. But yeah, it's good to be back here as well. It's been so a while. talk to me about the trip. What, it, was it research? Was it uh, time away for writing? Was it a holiday? What's the... Uh, it was a little of all of mm. those. Uh, it, first of all, it was the tour for Dark Dawn. So that came out um, in the UK and America, I think, 3rd of September. So mm. we had a launch for it in London, then toured Glasgow and Birmingham. Then mm. I went over to Italy uh, because my publishers there were dropping the entire trilogy at the end of September, kind wow. of all at once. So that was just really cool timing. So we did a couple of appearances in Rome and Milan, which were just mind-blowing, like mm. biggest crowds I've ever seen. It was it was crazy, like yeah. people mm. queuing up from 8 o'clock in the morning and I'm like texting my dad and he's like, yeah. what, what to see you? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> It was, it was bizarre. Was there someone else with you? Yeah. 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 Turing with Neil Gaiman or something. He doesn't even yeah. know who Neil Gaiman is, but uh, <laughs> he still made the joke. And yeah, then I then I had a festival in Prague. Uh, so I finished up there and then I stayed on in Prague with another writer buddy of mine. Uh, and we just kind of worked there for a month. Amazing. Wow. Uh, so I'm working on a new series called Empire of the Vampire. And Prague is a pretty mm. gothy kind of city. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Little, I figured little, that mm. would be a cool place to get away from it all and, and kind of just immerse myself in the book for a while. So, so the, yeah, that was it. Ten weeks ago. question away. I always ask about people who like have these really big tours and it's like mm. back to back and they're doing events and stuff yep. like that. It's especially when you get those big emotional, you know, moments of having all these people there. The moments after it all finishes yeah. and then the silence, whether it's you in your hotel room or in the green room or whatever... So many people have different reactions to that. One, it's like imposter syndrome. Sure. The other is misery because they're like, 
for some reason they feel sad yep. that it's happening yeah. and the other is just exhaustion. Uh, I mean, it is exhausting. I'm a pretty introverted person as a general rule. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. kind of being on uh, yeah. for, for you know five or six hours that Milan signing went forward, that just wrecks me. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I'm kind of conscious of the fact that I'm really lucky to be there. Of course. Yeah. And, yeah, 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 you know, these people... If if you wait in line for four hours to see somebody and you only get thirty seconds with them, you you want to make that thirty yeah, seconds pretty yeah. awesome. So yeah. you don't want to be sitting slumped in a chair looking miserable. <laughs> yeah. So as a result, at the end of that six hours, You're I'm just pretty wrecked. Shattered. But yeah. also, I mean, it was it was sad in a sense that it was the end of the trilogy, mm. um, and I felt like I was saying goodbye to that series and that character. And I sure. and Nevernight was a weird one in the sense that it kind of got bigger as it went along. Mm. Um, yeah. Kind of more and more readers got dragged into it as more books got released. Mm. So I kind of, I left it at its highest point, which is a little bit, it's hard to do. It's like a drug, man. Like you yeah, walk out yeah, in front yeah. of 500 people yep. and they're all screaming and, exactly. and lining up from yeah. eight o'clock in the morning to see you. That, it's, mm. it is a drug. Yep. And when you come down off it, you have to deal with the come down. Like it's, yeah, just, yeah. it's just the way human physiology works. Yeah. I've heard it said that the the moments after those big moments are always the ones you got to you got to watch yourself the most, you know, because like those those mess- yeah. yeah, you got to take care of yourself because like those massive highs, whether it's like you go to some big conference or you finish something really massive, whatever it might be, it I think those are the moments where like care is really important because you you kind of you you're experiencing something that's really extra normal, you know, it's yeah. not the it's not something that the everyday. So it's very special. I, I have to ask you, um, traveling for that long. What's the what's the thing when you come back to Melbourne? What's the thing you do? Just out of, this is completely left field. What's because when I come back personally, I go and get a coffee at auction rooms. That's what I love to do. Is there something you like to do when you get back to Melbourne? That's very Melbourne. Uh, I don't know if it's very Melbourne. It's very Australian. The first thing I eat is yep. is Vegemite. Really? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's great. great. That is so Australian. I get, I, get, <laughs> I get a plate of crumpets and Vegemite. Any Vegemite. They- um, that's great. But no, I went, I went down to the corner store. My, I've got a cafe right on the corner. Yeah. Uh, that's where I drink coffee every day, and usually. Yeah. I hadn't been there in like two and a half months, so I got a local coffee and had a Vegemite crumpets and, and just, you know, caught up with my buddies and yeah. people that I hadn't seen in two and a half months. Like, it's a really long time. Went back to being normal. Yeah. You know, yeah. Play, playing D&D and board games and all that usual yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff. But yeah. the, the thing that I miss the most is my pillow. Oh yeah, yes, like, isn't that just, oh, yeah? Just in the pillow, right? There's no good pillows anywhere. <laughs> no, except in your house, that's no. the only pillow. For your that's head. right. Yeah, because <laughs> your, your heads form this like <laughs> yeah, beautiful nice. thing. Yeah, no, it's I know. Like, hotel room pillows are just universally bad. I don't know what it is. It's yeah. an unspoken rule. Yeah, I must buy them from the same place. Like the stuffing just flees. <laughs> yeah, right. The spot where your head is supposed to lie. It's, it's ginormous, and there's nothing. It's yeah, ginormous but isn't and it nothing. also yeah. the fabric feels bad? Yeah, like every just, there's nothing good about it. Nothing good. Doesn't matter what star hotel you're in, the fabric feels bad we actually went hunting when we were in Prague yeah. we, we got a B&B mm. uh, and we the first thing we did was go hunting for a bed store oh, that yeah. actually sold decent pillows See, that's smart but uh, I, yeah. I mean it's pretty hard when you don't speak a word of Czech like <laughs> trying to explain <laughs> that you want a pillow yeah it's particular firmness yeah, you're like yeah, uh, no, I just didn't want one that felt like it was full of dirty underwear oh, <laughs> oh yeah, that, that is a great description I like that not good. that's good <laughs> but yeah Prague was, Prague was awesome it was really fun um, cool I hadn't been there in like 10 years, so mm. it's really pretty and, and kind of... Evocative? Yeah, it's kind of gloomy and grey, but in mm. an interesting way, not in a, mm. not in a depressing way. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, it's, it's a cool place to hang out. 
There's some incredible, those like that Eastern European vibe. I, I remember years back we went traveling to Krakow and it surprised mm. me because we'd gone there because, uh, you know, for various reasons, but Krakow itself actually really surprised me with just the, the vibe of it. And I, this is, I personally, for me, and you can tell me, Jay, if you get similar kind of inspiration, I remember walking into this one particular courtyard that a tour guide took us to and there was this black well in the middle of it, like just the blackest well and these gargoyles uh, coming out, which were rain pipe, uh, drain pipes. And I remember thinking, I'm writing this exact scene. It is oh, yeah. so vivid, you know? Yeah. It's got to be in there. We went to a place called, oh God, it's Strahov, I think. Strahov mm. Monastery. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, it's an old monastery, strangely enough, but it's, it's got this <laughs> enormous library in there. Right. Um, yeah. And yeah, I was just taking photos of it in my head and the next scene that I wrote was in a library and it's pretty yeah. much Strahov Monastery yeah. Library. Like, yeah, yeah. The, the visuals in that place are just incredible. All right. Um, but just, a, yeah, a, a kind of overall atmosphere as well. It was it mm. was really good for the book and just time away, like yeah. getting away from normal life and every day and immersing yourself in the work yeah. can be really helpful. So that, yeah, it was good. There's, There's something a, magical, I think, about capturing moments of time like that and then yeah. putting it in your head and yeah. sometimes your brain does mm. more work on it Definitely. over time. Yep. And it becomes this, yeah, it's just a weird, crazy thing. So, yeah, if you can go and live in Prague for a month to write a vampire book, I thoroughly recommend <laughs> it. It's a weird thing you should be doing. There you go. Not many people can do it. Well, but you yeah. heard it here first. <laughs> Good advice. All right, media section, ladies and mm. gentlemen. Uh, so, we have some things to talk about. We'll, uh, we've talked beforehand about Joker. Um, so, we'll try not to spoil it because Ian is watching it. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Tickets are booked, man. Don't All make right. me cancel those. Well, Come you got to message me what you think about it. And we'll, Absolutely. We'll, we'll chat. But um, we'll talk about it, and Jay and I have seen it. I saw, yeah, I saw it yesterday. Yeah. Mm. Uh, right. Last so it's night. very, so very it's fresh. fresh. In mind. Yeah. I saw it, I think, last week. Um, and uh, it's, it's strange because the film's plot to me now, thinking back to it, I don't remember it very much but i remember the scenes very clearly yeah i mean it's it's basically a character study There's rather no than a plot real driven plot, film yeah no, it's kind of a sequence of events that lead to a collapse a, a breakdown yeah. basically both in in terms of the environment and the character living in the environment so it's kind of a study of gotham as a city it and is, yeah was fleck fleck was his name right yeah arthur fleck arthur fleck yeah as a character so yeah it, it wasn't really a plot driven yeah film it was a what, character study. What did you think of it? What was your overall feeling? And and uh, to preface that, and we've talked to Angela Meyer about this a little bit as well. Right. Um, she tried to avoid a lot of the, the media and the talk about the film. Sure. Did you miss that? Or did you go into it blind? You know, what was the... Uh, no, I, I got wind of it. Mm. Um, yeah, I... I did not leave the cinema with the <laughs> impulse to join an incel cult you didn't? Nor, nor shoot up a theater, strangely oh, enough. Goodness, wow. yeah. Uh, wow. I would have thought I would have had some kind of impulse given the, the reporting <laughs> on that film that was going around before yeah. its release. Before uh, its release. Yeah, I, I think that's a more interesting part of the film than yeah, maybe it is, the film it? itself. This I feel like we're getting to that hysterical reaction to media before yep. it's even in existence. Maybe. People giving hot takes about films they haven't fucking seen, yeah. books they haven't read. <laughs> and then that feeds more people talking about those right. people. And then yep. soon we're not even talking about the film anymore. Right, exactly. Um, and and at this point, no one has yet <laughs> seen the film in question. <laughs> it, it happened after it had been... Because it was at... Uh, I'm trying to remember the film festival. Uh, the was big it... One. Um, Ken? Uh, the, Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, it was Khan. It was at Khan. Khan. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Yes. Yeah. yeah so that, I think it was after that, and like got like a standing so, ovation at the end. So that mean, yeah, 
so many films do. I, I, sorry, True. whenever it's a I hear European a film, thing, thing, like, and I got a standing ovation, I'm like, if you don't get a standing ovation there, it's kind how of a bad, bad was your yeah. movie? Yeah. But um, <laughs> anyway, that aside, I, I um, I wonder if it was just a recruitment tactic for incels. Anyway, just say, hey, we're out here. It's so weird. Yeah. Go figure. But like that hot take thing is is quite ridiculous, and yeah. I just I don't I don't get it. I mean, I it's cl- I mean, it's. It's clickbait journalism, yeah. I guess. It's, yeah. it's it's saying something contentious in the hope that people click on the article and mm. therefore generate ad revenue. Um, yep. I think Cynical. that's as simple as it can be broken. The down worst to. thing is though when you see people that you genuinely respect and you respect their opinions, and then it's sort of carried along, mm. and then you yeah. think, why would you believe that? I mean, there's a sense. there's a sense that if you don't go along with that consensus, it's you get true. Canceled. You're right. Um, yeah. And so it's at least in part based on fear, I guess. You yeah. need to comply with that herd mentality or else you get cast out of the herd. Yeah. And mm. out of the herd is a scary place to be sometimes. So. Well, it's not on Twitter, that's for sure. <laughs> no. I mean, I, I, you know, people kind of fall into the camp of either complying or just saying nothing. Nothing. Mm. Uh, but very rarely they'll come out and, and preach openly against that mob because the mob turns on you and tries to yeah. hit you as a result. Mm. But yeah, I thought, it w- I thought it was an interesting film. It was very different. Mm. Uh, and I think that's not always a good thing, but mm. in this case, it was like superhero films in general are becoming kind of homogenous at the mm. moment. Yep. Um, so the idea that you would do a character study, almost an art house film in some ways, mm. rather than Absolutely. a beat down, punch them up yeah. kind of traditional superhero film, was mm. I thought that was really brave and really good. Like yeah. the idea that people are trying to break that mold while working within that genre is brave and i think bravery Mm. should be rewarded yeah and i think it's taking in there's so many things there in the film that could have gone badly yeah one you're doing the joker which has already been portrayed Mm. superbly by heath ledger very hard act to follow yeah so Mm. hard so and you know they took a different turn on the character yeah you have so much history in the comics um in public perception of that character and then making him the main character of yeah. the film. Yeah, making a film about a villain rather than a hero. And th- I mean, there's a there's a weird risk. Mm. Like the the cool thing about the Joker in Dark Knight is that riff he has, where you know he has three different, four different origin stories. Anytime his background comes up, he yeah. tells a different yeah, story because yeah. it doesn't matter where yeah. I came yes. from. It matters what I'm doing. Yep. Um, so the idea to kind of pull back the curtain on that villain and show what's behind the mask was an interesting take. Um, sometimes it's a little scarier when you don't know where the villain came from or yeah. what mm. the alien looks like. It's scary when you only catch glimpses of it in the That's background true. rather than yeah. have it dragged out into the light. So in a way, you run the risk of reducing the mystique of yes. the character. Mm. It's true. Uh, by humanizing him, I guess. I got to say that for me, the the Joker is an interesting one. And you mentioned Jay about the the changing of the story in Dark Knight. I remember that and thinking that swept the rug out from under you because it's so good. He's like, you want to know how I got these scars, and launches into something else. And you're like, oh, okay, I yeah. have no idea. Yeah. And that chaos kind of continues. But yeah, it's a, that's a great personification of that chaos. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, love it. And I wonder if though, like, how the thing I was thinking was, how did the Joker become like the character? How did that? become the thing that you want to do you know like it was Heath Ledger how well he played it maybe that kind of catapulted it into a brilliant actor must kind of personify this I'm trying to think of other characters that might potentially fall into that in in cinema are there other characters that are as iconic that every actor would want to play I don't know if anyone would want to play Joker anymore like (laughs) 
Well, Jared Leto is not keen. No, <laughs> he's, he's no, a hard pass. God. Yeah, that, that that was a misstep, I guess. But yeah, I mean, you've had Joaquin Phoenix in Joker. I thought was incredible. Yeah. Like the mm. performances overall in that film were amazing, but he in yeah. particular, yeah, yeah, he was living in that character's skin, and it, it was a different Joker to the one that Ledger mm. did. But I still found him incredibly compelling to watch on yeah. screen. But yeah, as far as the character that every actor would want to have a crack at. Jeez, mm. I don't know. That's a good question. No. Joker's probably one of the few characters that you know has been done that many times. That I yeah. mean, they've got um, Twilight guy. God, yeah, it's Robert name? Pattinson. Robert, Robert Pattinson, Pattinson doing Batman. Which I'm is, kind of. I'm keen. I'm up for uh, it. Like the idea of Batman being world's greatest detective. Mm. He's great. Like yeah. no one's actually done that yet. Yes, because like, he's yeah. just been he's just, thug yeah. with growly voice. Yeah. Beating up guys and yeah. you know, occasionally you run a bullet through some weird computer yeah, program yeah, yeah. and reassemble the <laughs> fingerprint, whatever. But yeah. like t- for him to actually be a detective, mm. solving crimes and overcoming obstacles with his brain rather mm. than his fists, yeah, yeah. is something that weirdly has never been done in a Batman film before. Which is strange yeah. because they do that in the games. Yeah, the game doesn't. Isn't really it well. weird that a, yeah. a medium that has so much combat, right? We yeah. think of video games as like fighting things. The games have more detective. Yeah. Than the movies. Because like Arkham City, I played that. I, that's Isn't it one great? I, yeah. 100% completed, man. I couldn't yep. stop playing it. Really? 100%. I got all really? the Joker You did the Riddler? Oh, oh, a Riddle, Riddler puzzle, sorry. I, it was so yeah, bad. Are you talking about Arkham Asylum or Arkham City? City. That was huge. Yeah, it was. I just played that game I couldn't way too much, it. man. Because Arkham Asylum, I loved. <laughs> yeah, I loved the Descent into Chaos and that was just so incredible. So directed. Yeah. It felt filmic. And of course, amazing games. Mark Hamill as Joker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. You get you get the best. That was fantastic, and loved the whole thing. I but can't yeah. believe you went through the Riddler puzzles. One hundred percent completion. Much, I just love that so game much too much. Respect. One of, one of the few games I've ever actually loved that much. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's not a lot of them. Like I think I did the first prototype, one hundred percent. Yep, and maybe like Shadow of Mordor. Or yes. Right. Okay. Yep. And that's it. And, and Arkham City. Arkham City. What yep. a brilliant. But again, I would love films to do that. Like yeah. dig deep into the. The, the also the scary side of Batman because Batman's a little psychotic in his yeah. own methods yeah. and I like that to be explored like Batfleck did it a little bit but the cut of the film was so ham-fisted yeah it was bad like but I think his Batman was okay if they just let him have a good script I, I thought the first 10 mm. minutes of Man of Steel were, was great when, yeah when Bruce is driving around Metropolis as it comes down. Oh, his ears. best bit of the film! Incredible. And then, I thought, oh my god, this is, film's going to be amazing. Wait a minute, is this going to be rapidly good? Left yeah. into, into something that was not. But though, yeah, he was he was great as. I mean, he, he's probably a better Bruce than Batman. I guess he was. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. But it's, it's hard to find an actor that can do both convincingly. Because Bale, I reckon Bale. Bale's my favorite. But yeah, yeah I like Bale. Yeah, he, he does both. Like I, Michael Keaton was still good. Yeah, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Michael yeah. not Val Kilmer. <laughs> Look, I'm a, I was talking about Heat to a friend of mine about Heat being one of my favorite films from that era. I love Heat. Right. That film is amazing. Movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. so good. That, uh, mind you, though, Jay, it might make you want to kill people if you watch the film. Oh, really? Join, <laughs> yeah. join an incel cult. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah. Couldn't be played today. Mm. Couldn't handle okay. it. Um, Heat's great. It's an amazing movie. Yeah. People that, go watch Heat because no one, no one will know that film now. It's, yeah. it's weird. It's the first time that De Niro and Pacino were ever yeah. on screen together, even though they played. That's true. It, the same character in Godfather yep. Two, they hadn't mm. actually appeared in the same yep. scene yeah, in right. the same film. Yeah. So yeah, that that little just that conversation they have in that diner is just uh, like yeah. Ah, gives so me good, goosebumps. Amazing movie. Great film. Mm. Um, but yeah, Val Kilmer was bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we don't Willow. talk about we don't talk about George Clooney. 
We don't. We, we don't. Yeah. We don't. That, is he nipple Batman? Yeah, he's, yeah, nipple, he's Batman. nipple Batman. And that's all anyone knows him as. He's yeah. nipple Batman. And like that is a disservice to George Clooney. But I mean, he's done some amazing films. He's a great actor. But that probably. Yeah. Wasn't but imagine that. How do how do nipples overshadow your performance? <laughs> it's true. I mean, that <laughs> shat- overshadowed George Clooney's yeah. performance. Yeah, exactly. That they takes did. some doing. That's how ridiculous it was, folks. Will uh, there's one thing that I will come back to, and I've said this on a previous podcast, but somebody tweeted this, and I got mm. very excited for it. Mm. But Batman Beyond has old Bruce Wayne and. And I think it's Damian Wayne. Uh, it's like taking on the mantle. Yep. I could be completely wrong there. But there's a picture of old Bruce and new Batman. Right. And they showed Michael Keaton mm. as oh. old Batman and Robert Pattinson as new Batman. See, I that would be cool. That would be amazing. Yeah. That would be cool. Like Good a handing time. of the mantle thing. Yeah. And Michael, and Michael Keaton Keaton's being in the film. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like he's just incredible. It's, it's yeah. Actually, with Michael, Michael Keaton and Val Kilmer both... I you didn't I personally I didn't really notice much they were doing phase and they kind of just burst back on the scene. I'm trying to remember what it was. Will Kilmer Willow. Came back. Willow. Yeah. What? Willow. It was. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Well, no. Actually, was that at the start of his career? Willow was kind of the start, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's or kind of, That's kind of when he started to get big. He came back yeah. as an analyst in a movie that I just cannot remember. He was in the Saint. But didn't he kind of go crazy and like get yeah. Marlon Brando ish? He, he did stop. He did he for a while, like, and yeah. then yeah. Oh, he's back now. I didn't know he, he is was back. back. He's back. He was in the Snowman. That's it. The which Snowman. Is a terrible film. Oh. Don't read. Don't watch the Snowman, but do read the Snowman. Yeah, I really enjoyed the Snowman. But right. Yeah, the, the movie. Apparently, he's going to be in the new Top Gun. Oh, there's another Top Gun. <laughs> yeah. He's like, like he's playing old Iceman. He's playing Iceman. <laughs> old. Oh man, what he's playing old give? Iceman? Really? So they're they going to break out the volleyball kid again. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> have you most... seen Val Kilmer recently? He's looking a little rough, poor yeah, guy. No, probably doesn't want to get oiled yeah. up and glistening <laughs> on the beach with yeah. the boys. Still my favorite scene. Uh, but... Amazing. Uh, <laughs> playing with the boys in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Maverick so passes up a hot date with scene. Kelly McGillis to play <laughs> volleyball with his glistening buddies. <laughs> Totally not gay though. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, It's great. (laughs) It's amazing. Have you seen the Saint? No, no. Oh, that's it. I like how this media section has just descended into Val Kilmer. Kilmer Kilmer. But the Saint is a brilliant film. Okay, so it's based on the old um, Robert Vaughn TV show, right? Right. Um, and so yeah, is Val Kilmer the saint? He's the saint, yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's true. And he's not old and like... No, no, it's in. quite an old film. Uh, okay. I think it was late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Right, okay. Because Michael Keaton did... I mean, he was in Homecoming. Mm. He was Vulture. He did Birdman, which yeah. was amazing. Yeah. I, I really liked him in that. I, I personally... I, I'm not, like, that wasn't aimed at me. It was a younger kind of audience. Oh, you're talking about Homecoming. Yeah, Homecoming. Right. I was yeah. like, Birdman? Younger so, audience? What? No. Not, not Birdman. No, but um, yeah, in, in Homecoming, I really, yeah. en- I really enjoyed the way he played that character. It was great. I mean, that, yeah. that was the film. I had reached breaking point with Marvel. Mm. Like, I'm a Marvel boy. I, I've been yeah. reading Marvel since I was 12 years old. Mm. And I had reached kind of peak superhero. Complete. Yeah. And I was like, Same. I, I can't I'm out. I'm just, mm. can't I didn't watch anymore. it in the cinemas. Me either. Yeah, and Amanda, like, my I'm wife, done. said, you have to watch Homecoming Mm-hmm. I'm a Spider-Man guy Like he's my guy Yeah And I ended up watching On a plane ah, And realising okay. How incredible it was And that just yeah. dragged me Right back in yep. It was like that That second hit of heroin After yeah. 10 years yeah. <laughs> So you're willing to give The, the next needle. one a shot And yeah. all of a sudden I was like lining up For Thor Ragnarok And yep. you know, and then that forward was to Endgame And then, yep. yeah it sucked me right back in. I think it was after Iron Man three, yeah, no, which yeah. was cool. not great. Yeah, oh, there, there's a lot of bad Marvel films. Oh yeah, and, yeah. But, but that that was like Homecoming sort of a, was incredible. Yeah, yeah. It was and perfect. it just tipped it back. Tom Holland is just the best. Peter and it Parker wasn't an ever. origin story. No, no. it finally, oh, uh, but yeah. like ish, sort of. like sort of, but not the rehash of the Spider we Bite and Uncle Ben dying. Like we Uncle know that die again. Yeah. 
Uncle yeah. Ben's dead, we know. <laughs> He's died like three times. Everyone knows. Yeah. Could they just get, you know, Sean Bean to play uh, Uncle Ben every time? Because you know he's going to die anyway. <laughs> so let's just. You don't even need to show the death. You just yeah. cast Sean Bean just, and it's to presume he dies. You just flash yeah. Sean Bean's face yeah. and then flash away. And <laughs> that's you're like, right. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's he died. Story yeah. now. Of course he yeah. died. Peter crying in a corner and that's, that's it. Already yeah. done. It's good. It's there you go. All right. Well, I have a film to talk about, which was The King. Which was. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. I liked it. Okay, I haven't seen it yet. I really away. liked it. Robert Patterson uh, yep. was in it yep. as the Dauphin. And <laughs> yeah. French accent out of 10. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> good, bad? Uh, bad, good. Bad, good. All right. Bad, good. good. <laughs> like, I have hope for Batman because that was hilarious. Okay. Right. He loved his time so much. You could sort of just tell mm. that he just had a blast right. playing that character. That's good. Um, uh, Timothy uh, Chalamet. I can't. I can't. Chal- Chalamet. I think. Chalamet. Yeah. I, think. I say that. Yeah. And I'm like, Ugh. It's handsome, <laughs> handsome young man. Yes. Yeah. He's he's in it yep. and he's great. He plays his very. He has a very specific way of acting that a lot of people love, and I like it. But it's sort of like dour and not saying much, but still have some sort of gravitas. And sure. It's good. Um, Joel Edgerton's in it. Um, he was one of the producers as well, right? Yeah, and yeah. He, he, I think he wrote the this. He does a lot of writing. Yeah, um, I mean, it's good now. to see Aussies kind of playing on world stage like that. Yeah, Edgerton's great. Yeah, uh, I I love him in everything that he's in, and he did a really good job as um, Falstead. Uh, and he spoiler for for the movie if you're going to see it, but uh, I mean it's. <laughs> If, if you haven't read the play. If you or, haven't read yeah. the play, I mean, <laughs> I feel like the time of expiry is gone. Yeah. So he dies uh, in the source material, mm. uh, but he doesn't in this, uh, ah. in terms of he lives uh, uh-huh. throughout the film. Right. And it, I really like that change. Right. I think it gives the audience a perspective um, that's more humanizing. Mm. Uh, and it was great. Uh, I, I liked it. I, I thought it was a really good film. Yeah, I saw it got... It did critics. It um, did, but that tends to make me want to go see things more now. It was really just, it was slow and mm. dour and right. great dialogue. Not enough explosions. There was one battle at the end. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And sort of, yeah. <laughs> sort of. I loved it. I, I thought it was, um, yeah, it was just had a really lovely pace that yeah, cool. made me feel really sad throughout yeah, the whole it's, thing. It's been on the list. I, I, I really liked Joel Edgerton as well. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm anything anything else that you've seen, watched, read, Jay? Um, well, I am in the middle of re-watching the original Lord of the Rings hey, films because hey. they're replaying them at IMAX at the moment. Wow, so you get to see them on like a 100-foot screen. Um, so last weekend was Two Towers, weekend before was Fellowship, and this weekend is Return of the King. Yeah, right. Um, so that's been... I haven't seen those movies in... Mm. Probably six or seven years. And yeah. Unless you're a diehard fan, you don't sit down and say, tonight, watching Lord of the Rings. Yeah, for the next 12 Four. hours yeah. or something. Like, I, I think I think because yeah. they're the special extended editions. So I think four Return hours, of the King right? is four hours yeah. and 20 minutes long. Wow. So they actually have an intermission where you oh. yeah. go and get a feedback <laughs> and whatever. Um, but yeah, it, it was really interesting to go back after mm. a while. Um, and, and I haven't seen them since I saw the Hobbit movies. Yeah. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, and so going back and revisiting Lord of the Rings after you've seen The Hobbit is an <laughs> interesting experience. Do, do they hold up? I guess is the question. I mean, it's been yeah, they do. Yeah. Um, 
Fellow, I mean, Fellowship is still one of my favorite movies of Absolutely. all time. Yeah. Mm. I think it's probably as close to a perfect film yep. as I can think so, of. Agreed. So, can can I ask you about that? What what is it that do you think that really appeals to you about that in particular? Because I mean, I I really love it as well. But you two are both very much like, oh, yeah, the fantastic. Yeah. So, right. what is it about the that in particular as opposed to the others that you love so much? I mean, there's a couple of amazing emotional mm. beats that still kind of I still tear up when Boromir oh. dies. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. When, yep, he, when he's true, laying yeah. in Aragorn's arms and said, I would have followed you, my brother, my oh, captain, my king. It's like, oh, kills. man, straight it kills. in the feels. Yeah. Um, but also, like, it, it's classic, you know, it's the, it's the beginning of the hero's journey. Mm. Um, and it's when the fellowship is all together and everyone's kind of firing on all cylinders. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of great cinematic moments, but it's not... Mm. It's not too overbearing. It's still kind of small in scale, whereas the later Absolutely. films get bigger and yeah. things tend to get lost in the crush. Yep. Whereas this time, it's just kind of nine... Dudes, mm. yeah, I mean, they're all dudes. Yep. Uh, unless you cowboys aren't dudes, I'm not sure what the official ruling on that is. But <laughs> yep. Like just you know, wandering from point A to point B mm. to point C, and and the quest kind of expands out in front of you. It begins with the four of them, and then they pick up yep. Aragorn, and then they pick up the rest. And by the end, the fellowship is sundered, mm. and everything's gone horribly wrong. But there's a real there's a real tightness of narrative to it. Mm. There's a couple of great emotional moments in it, um, mm. and there's an understated nature to it that. I felt mm. they lost more and more as the films yes. went on. Yeah. Like the best example I can give is when they're tr- when they're crossing Caradhras, yeah, and everyone's up to their waist mm. in yep. snow, battling their way through the storm, and Legolas is just walking along the top of the snow. It's such a great yeah. And there's mm. not even a close up of his feet. It's yep. just kind of happening in the yep. background, and they call no attention to it. It's just a thing that is. Yep. And it's really underplayed and really understated. And then, like three films later, he's surfing down yeah, a Moomax yeah, trunk yeah, with yeah. a machine gun legolising. And in the yeah. Hobbit, he's like dancing up, falling masonry. Like, <laughs> yeah, there, there's a there's it's they underplayed it yeah. just right. I um, think I think there's a deafness in the first movie. And yeah, you definitely hit that's that on the, the word head. for it. Yep. Yeah, and it's filmic. It's such a beautiful it's looking beautiful. film. Yeah. Yeah. Because the cinematography yeah. blows my mind every yeah. time I see those shots. The scene when the Nazgul uh, they, it puts its hand on the on the log. Oh, and the centipede starts Just, crawling out. Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. like I'm getting goosebumps because yeah. that mm. scene is shot so perfectly. Yeah. There's there's no cutaway. It's all it's a long shot, yep. and then mm. it goes close up on the hand, and it's just. But I mean, they're, they're also because they were making it on a relatively small budget. Yeah. Mm. They're doing a lot of the effects practically. So yep. like you look at yes. the making ofs, and Ian McKellen and and um, God, yeah. what's his name, Elijah Wood yeah. sitting side by That's side right, in that classic. in that wagon yeah. as mm. Gandalf's approaching the Shire. He looks twice the size of Frodo, and it's not CGI. It was yeah. just the mm. the shot was framed in such a way, and the props were built in such yep. a way that they created an optical illusion. Yeah. And so it just works perfectly. But you can tell, like particularly when the screen is a hundred feet tall, mm. you can tell when they weren't doing it practically, mm, when yeah. they were f- kind of fudging it with CGI, because the actors' eye lines aren't quite right. They don't line up. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yep. So, but. Because they were operating on a smaller budget, they were forced to work around and find practical solutions. And the smaller budget played into Peter Jackson's own history. Yeah. Like his yeah. history. Yeah. Yeah. And Kiwis would get this. Thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah like he makes small yeah. budget grungy. Everyone knows. Yep. Everyone in New Zealand, as soon as you say Peter Jackson, they say thousand exactly. dollars brain dead. Yep. Made a movie on a thousand bucks. It was brilliant. And then like the fellowship was just 
It was you, mind-blowing. When you think about what was actually, and I was just reflecting as you said that, Jay, that what, part of the reason why it had to be tied as well is you, you actually had so much on the line. If that had flopped, because we were all worried it was going to flop, anyone yeah. who, was, who was alive and had read The Lord of the Rings before then was like, oh boy, yeah, come on, come on. <laughs> and especially for me, it was getting to more, Minds of Moria, you know, my favourite scene, oh. a scene that I still remember where I sat where I read it as a kid. I couldn't put it down. Yeah. Doom, doom, when the, when the drum's in the deep. And I was just thinking, please don't ruin this. And the Balrog, the whole thing. Brilliant. But what was riding on that film is almost like New Zealand's film industry. It was. Yeah. Right? That's and it, it. And it did. Get it right. And they kicked it off. And yeah. and you imagine that pressure. And they managed to distill use that pressure to distill something that just really stands up. And you're right. The it's almost like with those constraints off, Legolas in a way shows as he goes through the escalation yeah. of ridiculous. But, but I mean also the Hobbit. Oh, yeah. Almost yeah. destroyed it's the, extension the New of that. Zealand yeah. film. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, please stop. He's like, I'm going to make three. You're like, you don't have to. Oh, you, just, man. you could do two. But yeah, that, I mean, there's that huge shit fight about yeah, know, the uh, fair wages and the, oh, the New Zealand oh, yeah, Actors yeah. Guild going on strike oh. and the government having to intercede and yes. Miramax threatening to pull production. Yep. And that was it was a whole thing. thing. I can't believe they got through it. Yeah, that was You live long enough to become the villain. Yeah. Ah, yeah. yeah, there it is. That's it's, true. It, but it was so sad because... Like we were saying, the, the constraints and everything and the tightness mm. of the film got more and more bloated. And they're still brilliant. Like, mm. I love the trilogy. I yeah. think they're great yeah. films. First one's my favorite by far. Sure. And then The Hobbit came out. And that, if anything, is a more stripped down version. Like, it absolutely is. It's a children's story. Sure. You skip the fight at the end of the book. I mean, it's books. like a third of the length of Fellowship. Yeah. yeah. And yep. you made it three. Three films. And... Uh, we, and yeah. uh, listeners, I'm sorry we've talked about this a million times, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it, it just hurts me because, yeah. and the casting was great. Yeah. Like the casting was mm. great. Yeah. Uh, Richard Armitage is Thorin. It's great. Uh, I, mm. um, I'm blanket. Martin Freeman. Uh, and there's a couple of great, like the riddles in the dark scene is Really amazing. Yep. Yeah, really yeah. Um, Like the scene in Bag End where the dwarves are singing about mm. reclaiming their lost And we're gold. all talking about Incredible. small scenes. Yeah. yeah, but the rest of the film, yeah, not, not awesome. I've only yeah. seen each of those films once. I saw them at the cinema. Same. And kind of yeah, I saw it sort of again. killed it for me. I think yeah. the, the scene with Thorin and Bilbo at the very end of the third film was great. And I just the wish... The death scene? Yeah, I yeah. loved the death. Yeah. I just wish everything that happened before didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. it's exciting you get to see the you know, Return of the King, at least, and the extended version. I seem to recall in the extended version, there's one scene that I missed, that I loved in that, and I believe the Mouth of Sauron isn't, oh, yeah. it isn't in the yeah, original, is it? No. That's, That's very controversial. People get... I yeah. love that scene. Did You you don't love it? You've heard people I, not love it. I love his visual design. I thought... It yeah, looked, the visual... That, I, I think it's what... I think he looked it. really good. But, I mean, there's there's also a great moment in that yeah. where they, they missed that in the cinematic cut. Mm. Like, yeah. the Mouth of Sauron comes out and gives... Throws... <laughs> Frodo's chainmail. Yeah, exactly. It's plot specific. Yeah, and he says like, you're (laughs) fucked. You failed. Sorry. We caught him. He's dead. Like, GG. You're all going to die and we just won and they charge anyway. And it speaks to to Aragorn's character. Yeah, when he turns and says for Frodo and charges into certain death and pointless doom. (laughs) But they charge anyway. Like, it makes that moment completely different. That is a good point. The for Frodo thing I never thought about out of context before. But of course, yeah, that would have been there. Because they think he's dead. They think, oh, the quest just failed. They caught him. (laughs) Sauron has the ring. Where... Fucked. Yeah. Like, we always talk about the black moment in storytelling, yeah, right? Like when it. all hope is lost. Yeah. That's the moment. You literally yeah. cut out a central plot point. <laughs> it's probably the defining moment yeah. for Aragorn, really. Yeah. Like the fact that he char- yeah. they charge anyway. 
Mm. Uh, like that, that kind of. I mean, it, it's it's probably wrong to glorify that that kind of pointless heroism. But yeah, mm. yeah, it, it's kind of what makes a hero. Yeah, but also like the thing I'm looking forward to is that is Pelinor Fields, man. Like that mm. speech that Bernard Hill. I'm not a huge fan of Two Towers, but every scene that Bernard Hill. Yes, I mm. uh, completely agreed. And that speech he gives before the charge of Pelinor yeah. Fields oh, yeah. is just. Chills every time. Yep, so it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to just seeing that on the big screen on Sunday. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, well, uh, we are due for a topic, <laughs> ladies wow. and gentlemen. Uh, Val Kilmer, Lord of the Rings. What more could you want? Yeah, we Feel like oh. this is a nostalgia episode, honestly. Um, but it's interesting. We've been on a little bit of a trend with the topics. We talked to Astrid about being a debut author and. Uh, audience expectation of what that means as a debut author, right? You you create something and then people expect sort of something similar. Um, or do they? And they expect something different or fresh or whatever. Um, and then we have, uh, we were talking to Will about the idea of worthiness uh, in, uh, in literature, in writing, specifically uh, in the terms of genre. Uh, often worthiness is overlooked because it's genre, so hence has no worth. Though, uh, that often speaks to, like, the, the pressures that writers are under to, one, keep a roof over their heads to continue producing work. So I think that's the main thread of the topic today, uh, the idea of time, pressure, audience expectation. Um, Jay, you've been writing for a while now, and you've, you've got a bunch of series under your belt. You're starting a new one. Yep. So let's speak to some practicalities. Let's speak to this, uh, knuckle down and figure out some timelines here. So when did you start working on this new series relative to finishing what you've got going on at the moment? Uh, are you talking about Empire? I, I mean, I've, yeah. I've sold Empire, I think, in December last year. Mm -hmm. uh, and I sold it. I'm lucky enough to, because I've got a body of work behind me yeah. and a mm. relationship with my editor, I can sell on what's called spec, on spec. Yeah. so yeah. I don't have to write the book. Yep. I kind of I do a sample. I think the sample I did for Empire was about 50 pages. Yep. Put together a pitch document and sent it to my editor and he liked it and my UK editor liked it so it got bought. Yep. Um, but then I had to go away and work on a bunch of other projects. So I've, I've really only been working solidly on Empire for probably six months. Sure. Hmm. Um, and I, I realized that it, it's a bigger book than I expected it was going to be. It's probably going to be the longest book that I've written. Right. Um, so in terms of production time, it'll probably take a little longer than other books that I've written. But I also have other projects going on as well. Like yeah. Amy and I are doing yep. our YA stuff. So we've yep. got the second Aurora book coming out in May. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be writing the third one kind of later this year and yep. early next year. Hmm. And I also have the third Lifelike book coming out in May as well. Yep. So at the moment, I'm putting out three books a year, which is not... Probably not sustainable. Mm. <laughs> probably not the smartest thing you could do. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, you know, I figured that I should probably make hay while the sun shined. Yeah. Um, yep. The idea that, you know, you're popular now, but you're probably not going to be popular tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, mm. And it is very difficult to earn a living mm. doing this thing. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of wanted to strike while the iron was hot. Uh, and fortunately, a couple of my series have been successful. So, on the back of that, I've... I can, you know, reliably expect some work for the next, you know, four or five years. But after that, who knows? Mm. Who knows? In in one sense, and I 
<laughs> I think, uh, 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 not to put a finer point on it, but uh, Twitter is a good indicator of what people expect out of your work right. uh, in mm. terms of the comments that you get after they read your work. And sure. it's something that I find great joy in because I open up Twitter and it's usually a wall of, mm. you know, I hate you, Jay. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. Oh, <laughs> my readers, always. My readers are all massacres. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there is a little it's bit like of They're yelling that. at me, but they're happy about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm sure we could... Heartbreak uh, is the brand. Yeah, we, mm. we could dive into that, I guess. But um, more specifically, you have an expectation of your work, right? right. I'm going to read a Jay Kristoff novel. What does that mean? Sure. could probably say a bunch of things yep. um, that would encapsulate that. Does that inform you going forward um, in mm. terms of, say, all right, uh, you want to write a book that's completely different. You want to write a crime thriller, rom-com. nothing to do with this. Yeah, rom com. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Henry Golding and whatever, whoever is in it, and Val Kilmer. Yep. <laughs> right. um, in this case, but is that even a thought? That wait a minute, will my readers follow me into this? Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, if you're, I think if you're doing it for a living, it probably should be right. Um, yeah, because the audience that you've gathered has been brought to you by the work that you've done previously. So mm. doing something that completely breaks the mold will inevitably disappoint people. I mean, if it's amazing, then, then great. But it's certainly, that a, it's certainly a risk that you run. Mm. The weird thing is more and more, and I have this conversation with publishers and editors and agents and other authors, the trend nowadays seems to be leaning more towards people following series rather than authors. Mm. Yeah. yeah, right. So what... I and a bunch of my peers have noticed is one series might be particularly successful, but that's absolutely no guarantee that the audience who came mm. to that first series will follow you to your next. Yeah. Which is why I think you see a lot of authors who have successful series, mm. you know, keep on doing them. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a reason why your favorite trilogy just became six books. <laughs> yeah. It's because yeah. There's, there's a certain guarantee of audience and readership. And I think there's also a certain fear as well of starting something new. Like, like I was saying before, it's, a, it's an absolute drug yeah. to walk out in front of 500 people who are all there to see you and lose their minds when they do. Yeah. Um, mm. And running the risk of losing that is a scary proposition. So I, I totally understand why people keep doing the same thing over and over again. But me, I try... Like there's a, there's, there are certain moods and themes that mm. I think carry through my work. Yeah. Um, yep. But I try. I try and do something different every time. I try and challenge myself every time. So mm. you know, Illuminate is a very different book to Nevernight. Yep. Um, Empire is is kind of a spiritual successor to Nevernight in some sense. But I'm I'm trying to do something different with that. Like Nevernight, I was doing the footnote thing and the yeah. fourth wall breaking. Mm. Empire, I'm doing an illustrated content. Um, it's yep. kind of a it's a historian recording a man's the story of a man's life. Mm. But he's also kind of illustrating key scenes as he has the narrative mm. explained to him. So there's a visual element to the book as well. Mm. So I always try and bring something different to the work that I'm creating. But, I mean, I write the books that I want to read. It's a cliche to say. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the style in which I write and the stories that I tell are the stories that I enjoy reading. So mm. unless I made a conscious decision to do something different, I, I think I tend to just trend towards... You know, kind of dark, grim, dark, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. heartbreaky, twisty type stories. Just because that's the kind of story I like to read. But yeah, yeah it, I, I think it is a consideration, definitely. Yeah. Um, do Do you feel that in in the middle of you know having 
a body of work now behind you and thinking about the idea of uh, finding voice in what you do, do you feel like there's a way that your voice has kind of evolved as you've gone through the various series? Can you look back on something now and think, I can see the particular progression that's happened? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that you only notice with hindsight. But, you, yeah. you know, I can, I can look at the books that I wrote you know, seven, eight years ago and know what books I was reading at the time. Mm. Like yeah. you're, you're informed by <laughs> yeah, the media yeah. that you're experiencing and the writers that you're, you're looking up to at the time. So mm. I can see shades of, you know, William Gibson who's a huge <laughs> influence on me mm. in, yeah. in my earlier work. Much, it's much more apparent to me than the stuff that I've done recently. But yeah. I think that just comes with time and confidence. Uh, the more mm. you do it, the more confident you feel in yeah. your own abilities and the more the easier it is for you to find your own voice yeah and obviously that voice is informed by every you know every other writer you've ever read mm. um but yeah you you come into your own a little with time i mm. think yeah absolutely i think it's a um and maybe some people might think of this as an aloof question to be considering your own legacy um, <laughs> 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 but that's where we're minutes. going yeah, strap right. yourself in ladies okay, and gentlemen right. so that's a thing that, and, and we were talking to Will about this and the idea of work surviving. Yeah. Um, and a lot of work um, that was, uh, we, you know, the canon of literature, um, there's a lot of stuff that was thought to be and then we don't talk about anymore. Yeah. Uh, um, but things do survive. Um, and, and you just mentioned William Gibson's, you know, yeah. the Neuromancer for yeah. me is an incredible piece of work and he almost created, you know, a subgenre, a genre, genre, yeah. 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 Um, and that, you know, is a thing that we will, I think, remember. Um, is that ever a consideration in your brain when you're writing something? Are you trying to, and you said you'd, you know, and I picked up on that idea of doing something new, right? Yeah. Is that in one sense the same sort of thing that you're going for? Are you trying to, to forge create, something? Create a legacy. Create a legacy. <laughs> uh, it's hard we, to well talk done. about this seriously, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> shit. I mean, I think it's probably in the back of everyone's mind. Of course. But if it's, yeah. if it's something that you're consciously trying to do, yeah. you're <laughs> almost certainly setting yourself up for disappointment. Like That's an incredible feat to pull off. For, you're talking about mm. once in a generation type. Yeah, yeah, you're talking yeah. about Game of Thrones. You're talking about yeah, Harry yeah. Potter. Yeah, like yeah. something that jumps the borders in which it was created and yeah. enters popular consciousness. Mm. Like the idea that you could walk down the street and see some kid wearing... A, a you know a mm. logo of a clan that you created with their house yeah, clothes yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you if you genuinely <laughs> spend time thinking about what it'll be like when that shit happens it's yeah. like spending time thinking about what it'd be like when you win the lottery yeah, yeah it's, uh, true it's, it's great to have hopes and aspirations mm. and ideally yeah that's the way it it does work out for you and great if it does but mm. i think realistically yeah everyone does think about it a little bit but you should spend as little time as possible as yeah. you can mm. and instead concentrating on just making a great story with great characters and hopefully everything comes from that. Like I've had, like Nevernight's been quite quite amazing in that respect. There, there's something about that book and something about that character that mm. appeals to a particular kind of person. Yep. Mm. And, you know, the people who like Mia really go into her. Mm. Um and so I've, I've had people, I had this amazing experience in Sydney f at the Dark Dawn launch. Like someone came up to me, there's a trans person came up uh, with a copy of Nevernight that they had bought at the original mm. Nevernight launch. Mm. And they asked me, like I had signed it back in 2016 or whatever it was. 
uh, and they asked me to cross out their old name and write in their new name oh, wow. uh, on a new page. And so I did that and I gave them the book and said, thanks very much. And they looked me in the eye and said, I wouldn't be here if not for this book. Mm. Wow. And that, that shit rocks you back on yeah. your heels. Mm. Like, forget walking down the street and seeing some words that you wrote on a t-shirt. Yeah, like, yeah. that is amazing. Um, so, so just that. I mean, that, that is, uh, to me, in one way, that's a far more admirable goal to aim towards. But it's, it's also a way more realistic one than, mm. than becoming a pop culture icon and yeah. having a television series or a movie or, or whatever. You can genuinely touch people's lives, mm -hmm. even with a story that doesn't send, sell you know, 35 million copies. Yeah. You can still speak to people in a very real way and make their life better for having experienced your art. That's mm. eminently achievable for anyone who's making art. So yeah, that, that's probably a, a more noble mm. and easily, more easily achievable goal to aim for anyway. I wonder if thinking about someone coming up and sharing something so incredibly personal with yeah, you, me and that, away, man. that kind of stuff, like what I mean, what do you do with that in some ways? Because it's it's amazing and it's uh, and it like that's not a negative thing at all. Yeah. It's just it's quite incredible that someone would yeah. have special. And in in a way, actually, it's it's unique to the art form that we're all part you know taking part in. And I remember it was a particular. I picked up um oh, now I'm, I'm going to forget uh anyway I'm thinking lame is but anyway picking up a, a book a very old book. And you, you turn the page and you realize that that author from way back when, it, you get to talk directly with them. That's really oh, strange. Yeah. That's a strange yeah, yeah, yeah. thought. Yeah. And that, I think, is something that gives this medium so much strength that yeah. when you pick up a Jay Kristoff book, Jay, you're right there. Yeah. You know, you're, you're talking to them. It's your voice. And yeah. You're there. That yeah. is an incredible thing. So that connection is different from when you watch a movie and there's all these people. There's the actor. There's the writer. There's the, you know, the person behind the camera. There's all those people. But actually with a book... It's you really know, quite intimate. Mm. It's, it's a very intimate thing. And in that sense, you kind of can draw closer to people's worlds. And there, there's, a, there's a strange kind of time capsule element yes. to, to books like that because you're not only... You're seeing that author... You're seeing who they were when they wrote the book, which might be 20 years ago. But if it's a book that you're revisiting, you're also revisiting mm. the self you were you, 20 yes, years yeah. ago. Ooh. It's like when you go back and, and read those books that you loved as a 12-year-old yeah. and yeah. realize, hang on a minute, this is actually not that awesome anymore. Yeah, I should have just left it on the yeah, shelf. That's the and never sad side of it. Yeah. <laughs> Words of the wise, don't go back and reread the Dragonlance books because <laughs> they were great when I you were did. 12. Ew, it was bad. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. it's not great. It's someone's D&D campaign in yeah. written format. But shit, they sold like yeah. a billion Hot copies. Cakes, so what do I know? Yeah. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. But in, yeah, in, in one sense, uh, let's... Uh, so it... I guess spinning that topic, the worthiness, I guess, is about how you affect people. Right? Yeah. And mm. in that sense, that's a powerful thing. And is that the thing that drives you? Or is it, it you know, and we talk about this a lot in, in, um, in Joker and Scorsese and all of these things. Scorsese mentioned something that I think I, I liked a lot, which is um, the idea of entertainment and, and being finding something fresh, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a Harold Bloom uh, the literary critic that a lot of people hate and, you know, said something that I quite like, which is, in the end, it's entertainment, right? Like, he was a big fan of the Western canon of literature and believed in its strengths. And he said that it's not a model to how to live your life or the best things to do in the world, but it's a form of entertainment that's edifying in some way. Sure. Right? And is what's the, what's the purpose of the writing? Is it to uh, entertain? Is it to... What, what, what drives that? I mean, I, I primarily see my job as an entertainer, yeah. yeah. Um, mm. But people can draw entertainment from different things uh, yeah. and that doesn't necessarily have to be the only 
goal in mind. It's 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 probably the most paramount if you want to be making a living off this stuff yeah. because yeah. you need to be selling enough copies to pay your rent and yeah. keep your lights on. Um, mm. So I guess it's you know it's the difference between being in a pop band and being in some experimental jazz fusion band. You know yeah. you're depending on the kind of book you're writing, you're limiting the amount of audience you're going to have and ergo mm. the amount of income you're going to have. So if, it, if this is something that you want to do and pay your bills with, then mm. yeah, entertaining as many people as possible is probably not a terrible way to, to, to see your job. But mm. it's, I mean, why do I do what I do? I mean, I, I do what I do because I love it because mm. it's the most because it's the most incredible job that I've ever had because it's the only job I've ever had where I really felt like I was doing what I was meant to be doing. Mm. Um, you know, I've had three or four careers now. I'm 45 years old. So I've, I've worked jobs that I hated and I've worked jobs that were okay. Uh, I've never worked a job that I loved before. And my, mm. like my dad is, my dad was a workaholic. Like he mm. worked, you know, mm. 18 hours a day. Wow. And I could never understand why he did that. I could mm. never understand why would you choose to be at your job instead of at home with us or whatever mm. until I found a job that I loved. Then I get it. All right. Yeah, yeah. Every minute of this, even the hard minutes, even mm. the hard days, even the days that suck. Because it's still a job. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's still a job, but yeah. it's like, man, talk about an amazing thing to be able to do for a living. Like, mm. I feel so incredibly lucky to be mm. able to do this. Um, do- yeah, and, and, and that's that's why I do it, because I love mm. it. All other considerations are kind of secondary. It's, a, it's, it's great to have an audience. It's great to have readers who love your work. It's great to make an impact on people's lives. Um, but yeah, I, I, do it out of, I do it out of love, which is a corny thing to say. But mm. uh, yeah, I, I'm still very... I, I count my blessings, whatever you want to call it, mm. every day. Because like I say, I have, worked, I have worked jobs that I hated. I have worked yeah. for people that I disliked. Mm. And I have... I have spent a lot of time doing, spending my hours in a pursuit that I had nothing tangible or of worth to show for it at the end. And now I get, yeah, I get to show up at signings and have people tell me that they wouldn't be here if not for my books or Mm. tattoo words that I wrote, you know, carve them into their skin and then be on their body for the rest of their lives. Like Mm. that's a pretty amazing thing to be able to do for a living. So yeah, I'm very grateful to everyone who allows me to do it. Mm. Yeah, that's, that sounds like a very healthy way to look at it too. Um, I it, I wonder, speak, thinking about that as well, is there is there a, so now you've been doing this for a while full time, and I'm sure it was a big decision to you know, step into it full time. It was scary, man. Yeah, yeah. Australia in particular, it's oh, hard yeah. to do. It's what hard what to do. time was that? So yeah. between which? Uh, so where were you? Um, how were you writing? What did you mm, publish? I you went pu- I went full time. Jesus, I think 2014. Yeah. Mm. Um, okay. Jan- January 2014. We had just signed the Illuminate deal. The Illuminate deal was kind of what opened up the doors for yeah. both yeah. myself yeah. and Amy. Because um, mm. I, was, I was in a job that I wasn't really having a lot of fun with at that time. And, mm. and being able to walk in and tell my boss, you can take this job and restaff it was yeah. <laughs> one of the coolest days. <laughs> I life. get that reference. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's um, but yeah, so it would have been, it was Australia Day. It was just after Australia Day weekend 2014. So I had, yeah, my right. first book came out in 2012. Yep. I got my agent in 2010 mm-hmm. and I started trying to get like properly published mm. as in writing every mm. day and trying to have a book at the end of it. Mm. I started doing that properly, quote unquote, in 2008. Mm. So, the, so the first yeah. novel that I ever finished writing um, 
my wife and I go away every five years for our wedding anniversary. We just mm-hmm. went away in September. Mm. So the, the first book that I finished writing was two trips ago. So it was like right. 20, 2009. Mm. I, I wrote The yeah. End in an airport over in Europe. Mm. So I guess it's, it's been you know, a little over 10 years with me from the point where I actually sat down and said, okay, you're going to write a book and you're going to walk in and see mm. it on a bookshelf one day yep. to the point where I'm at now. It's about 10 years. I think you had an incredible uh, benefit as well with your background because, you know, you have a marketing um, background as well. In some yeah, ways, that's yeah. been super helpful. And that's, that is, I, I mean, it's incredible. I, my work in, um, in, in fundraising and marketing has, has given me an understanding uh, personally of kind of just, you know, getting word out there and stuff. And, yeah. I, and I, I wonder if it's something that all people who are considering writing shouldn't take a look at and just at least fi- try and find a way to understand what it takes to get a message to someone that they're interested in and that they're going to engage with. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's important. Um, having, having kind of a personal brand, I guess I have a brand, mm, uh, yeah. kind of sweary metal guy <laughs> with scruffy hair and a, yeah. and a beard, looks vaguely like Dave Grohl. Um, <laughs> I, like I, I, have a, I have a mood, I have an mm. aesthetic, I guess. And that's important. Um, yeah. But I think there's also a danger. Like when I, when I was first starting out, mm. there was a lot of emphasis placed on platform. Yeah. Having yeah, a blog platform. and having a vlog yeah, and yeah. having a Twitter account. Yes. Uh, yep, and I know a lot of authors who spent an awful lot of time in establishing those mm. platforms. Some of them have established their platforms very successfully. Mm. Mm. But I think it doesn't always translate into sales. Yep. Like I know authors who have 100,000 Twitter followers mm. and people don't buy their fucking books. <laughs> yeah. They just follow <laughs> them on Twitter because they're funny <laughs> yeah. and they entertain them. Like yeah. they yeah. open up their Friends Twitter feed and it's like, oh, lol, yeah. my author made a joke. You mm. bought his book? What did you think of the last one? Oh, I didn't buy it. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the point of creating that platform? Yeah. I think it, there's, I had a really interesting experience when I, I, I went over to Venice um, mm. last year to work on Dark Dawn because I needed to just get out of, out of the house mm. <laughs> I, was dri- I was driving my wife insane yeah. uh, and I did a meet and greet the last day that I was there because people knew that I was in Italy because I was tweeting about mm. it whatever and so I said alright if you want to come and get your book signed yeah. I'll be at this cafe all day just come mm. in and have a chat and we'll have a coffee and mm. it'll be good and so the cool thing about that like most book signings you get someone come up to mm. you with their book and they'll say hello and they'll say what they've got to say you sign their book and send them on their way mm. but this time I actually got to have a conversation with a lot of these yeah. readers that's great uh, and the books hadn't been published in Italy yet and so mm. one of the first things I asked everybody was like oh how did you find out about me like mm. I'm Australian I'm not even published in this country Yeah, but you're here to see me like what's the deal yeah. and they pretty much everyone in that room mm. oh, probably about 80% of the people in that room had found out about me through two Australian book vloggers. Ah, interesting. So those two vloggers, like Little Book Owl and Pierre Ford, they they kind of became evangelists for the series. Mm -hmm. And so on their recommendation, those Italian people went out and bought the book. And then I came back 18 months later and one of the vloggers, her Mm. her name is Sarah. Thank you, Sarah, if you're listening. She was at that Venice meetup and she's, you know, she's a nexus point in the Italian mm, book community. Right. So she, yep, yep, yeah. she took the book and went and told 12 of her friends and those 12 friends told 12 yep. more yeah. and they told 12 more and I turn up to Milan 18 months later and there's 500 fucking people there <laughs> waiting to see me all from one person yeah. who yeah, got yeah, informed yeah. by two other people. So I think, you know, if you're going to spend time on anything rather than establishing that yep. platform online, mm. um, th- those relationships with influencers it's a terrible word it's mm, it's a mercenary no, way of referring to people but i i guess what i'm saying is having one person who believes passionately about yeah, your work yeah. and going out and telling a friend you've got to read this book 
is way more valuable as a general rule than having 2,000 Twitter followers. Mm. It's, and that's a solid, um, it's a, there's a solid um, leadership principle behind that as well, which is um, borrowing someone's influence in marketing, you know, like uh, Air Jordans. Nike yeah, yeah, right. teamed up with Michael Jordan <laughs> and immediately you got all of Jordan's uh, deal interested in, in Nike there. And it's the same when someone, because there's credibility and in, in many yeah, ways it's it, just, yeah. you're leaning they on trust. someone's credibility that there's trust there. So Jordan, hey, we trust you. You wear shoes all the time. We see him. Yeah. Sure, we'll try these Nikes. I mean, and if they, some stranger comes up to you on the street and says, hey, yeah. you got to read this book, man. Yeah. You won't think anything of it. No. If Joel comes up to you and says, I just read this book, you have to read it. Yeah. You're going to believe him because yeah. you trust him. You know him. A personal recommendation, yeah. Even if it's not personal, if it's someone that you yeah. trust, it's worth its weight. It's weight in gold. That's, so yeah, there's there's good. a. I guess what I'm saying there's a danger in putting too much influence on emphasis on that platform building yeah. as an idea. And mm. it's it's curious because we're talking about the idea of trust, and I think these days people, you know, the curated media, newspaper reviews, and things like that are changing. We talked about it a little bit on the last podcast. The idea that these forms are dying in 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 the space for more open, you know, mm. Goodreads, Amazon reviews, all these sort of yeah. non curated things. But like you said, having people that you trust that read things similar to you, yeah, that often carries so much weight. It's an interesting example used with Ian because he never listens to anything I ever recommend. <laughs> yeah. So I was. I was gonna say Apart it, but I was like, we were both looking at each other, thinking this is a bad Joel, relationship. I, no, I looked at Jay and I was like, he's serious. I'm not gonna make that joke, Joel. So yeah, if Joel recommended something to me, I'd absolutely read it. Yeah, I'd be yeah. watching westerns all day, but I'd absolutely yeah. pay attention. Westerns, Val Kilmer. That's movie. it. You know, yeah. it's crazy. Oh, Val films. You but you're right, and I, I think it's a great, it's a really solid advice, like from a really uh, important point of view that um, people be, being able to trust a voice that says, hey, look, you know what, I. I like, generally I like what you recommend because there are some yeah. friends as well who recommend you books that they get it. Yeah. Right? And yeah. there are some friends who recommend you books who are like, I oh, maybe, you know, yep. and, and you don't quite. So, yeah, I think that's important. I mean, the Jurassic Park example and, the, mm. you know, I read Jurassic Park. I've never read the book. I read, I, you know, I've heard of Michael Crichton's books and I, I mm. like Westworld um, and I like Jurassic Park, but I'd never read the source materials. I never right. read the first. Um, and then Ian said, no, you have to read it. Now, if somebody says you have to read something that's, very, very old. In my brain, I'm thinking, ah, okay, maybe he has a point. I need to fill a gap in my, you know, my literary knowledge. So then I read Jurassic Park and then I ended up like really I'm trying to remember it. why on earth I actually went and read it. I love Jurassic Park the movie. Yeah. Did maybe Jurassic that. Park the book hold up? Oh, it was yeah, great. You, yeah. it I've, is, not, I've not read oh, the book. Jay, you've got okay, to read so, it. So, <laughs> so, so complete tangent, but I yeah. think it's worth it. And yeah. we, we're talking about this idea of books having worth, right? Mm. <laughs> this book is... It, it's there's a story and then there's Michael Crichton wanting to talk to you <laughs> about the dangers of science yeah. which oh, is really? the character of Ian Malcolm yeah it's so okay. obvious and in the book he's yeah. so egregious it's amazing like there's pages yep. where Ian Malcolm turns to the camera and says let me talk to you about science boys and girls goes. and yeah. how bad science is it, no it, it's a really dangers. interesting yeah. like he has this thing <laughs> about cloning and and science and chaos theory. Like, yeah. it's Michael Crichton talking to you. Right. So interesting. You, you know it is. This, this is Jeff Goldblum's character yeah. in the movie. Yeah, so yeah. They, Crichton cast Jeff Goldblum. Goldblum well, in one sense, Jeff Goldblum yeah. wasn't going to be in the film, classically, because Spielberg said, well, you kind of overlap with, you know, um, in, uh, with... Um, Sam Neill? Grant's, uh, yeah, 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 Sam yeah, Neill's yeah, character. Right. Alan Grant. Um, so we're going to catch you out. And Jeff was like, ah, but I think this character is really good. So he talked himself into the, mm. you know, the movie, um, which <laughs> yeah. is great because he, you know, people remember him so well. I mean, yeah, that, that, that shot of um, 
him oh, yeah. shirtless in the leather yeah, pants so scrawled across so the computer to but that's it's Michael a meme Crichton's even today 20 yeah. years later in one sense later. that's Michael Crichton's fan fiction of himself right, right? Yeah. Yeah. and good on him he got a sexy scientist he made the sexy scientist who'd have thought uh, but yeah but that, it's, it's interesting because it, it does it holds up and that was the thing that shocked me I mean uh, to be fair, and I was reading it on Baby Brain in like 3 a.m. in the morning holding a newborn. So I was like, I'm just going to do this. And then I'm, I'm glad it wasn't my baby brain that did it. It's Yeah, and I trusted you, right? I, yeah. I hardly read book reviews anymore. I can't actually remember the last time I read a book review. Right. That wasn't a personal recommendation. I never go on Goodreads. Yeah, isn't that I interesting? I do not mm. like... Uh, the, because the, the bell curve doesn't exist in one sense. Mm. Uh, yeah, Goodreads both. is the Wild West. It's yeah, yeah. Weird, and Amazon, it's like, you know, you take I mean, what you can get. Amazon is a little, a little more, bit better. Yeah, because people have to have actually purchase, purchase. A book there. Like, yes. so That's associated a associated with a credit far. card. <laughs> That's right. Gotta, um, whereas Goodreads, you could just jump on and one-star a book without ever having read it or bought uh, yeah. it or in, in a sense, the Wild West thing really works too because it feels like the one-star is like the yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, the one star and run, and you're like, "Tell me more." Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. tell me more. But don't ask. Don't yeah, don't engage. ask. Yeah, it's actually what I'm saying. Yeah, don't don't it's tell the, me more. It's the true fans <laughs> and the true haters, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah and sometimes yeah. you get the three star, four star, and I'm like, ooh. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, three. If you're if you're looking for any kind of mm. um, nutritional benefit <laughs> <laughs> to improve your writing, three stars reviews is probably where it's at. Yeah. Someone who liked your book but didn't think it was perfect, and there are ways that you that. can improve. Yeah. Yeah. And if you read, you know, twenty three star reviews, and they're all saying the same area that you could improve, mm. chances Maybe are there's something else. Yeah. yeah, but if true. you you know one star reviews that are just you know for whatever reason um, you don't get a lot of nourishment from them, and yeah. similarly five star reviews. No. Probably not a lot of nourishment. You're not going to improve by surrounding yourself with people that just think you're awesome. The echo chamber. Yeah. Yeah. You you want valuable critique. So yeah, yeah three star reviews is probably where you're gonna find that if you're gonna go looking for it. Mm. Brilliant. Well, I think that brings us to time. Uh, everyone, thank you for listening. Jay, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me back, guys. It it's always fun. It was lovely to have you. Tell people where people can follow you on social media. Um, what have you got coming up? Book tours, book announcements. Yes. Yeah. So I am Mr. Christoph on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my next release is in May next year. So that's um, mm. Amy and my Amy Kaufman, who's another Melbourne author. She and I write YA sci-fi together. And we have the second part of our uh, Aurora series coming out in May next year. That's called Aurora Burning. And I think we've got a cover reveal coming for that later in the month. Mm. And I think a month after that, the third part of my Lifelike series is coming out. We haven't revealed the title for that yet. So, yeah, May and June next year. Mm. Brilliant. In where can people follow you? This last podcast of the year. Shout it out. What are we yeah, doing? Just What's find the end me. Of the year? Find me at ih Laking on Twitter. Follow the cat memes, or as I've said previously, find my Tumblr meme that's been retweeted a billion times, and you'll find me. Brilliant. Uh, well, uh, we have. <laughs> I'm just gonna move. It's a whole thing. <laughs> gonna, it's yeah, a whole I'm thing. Just gonna leave that. Does the round. Keep moving. <laughs> See it on Reddit yep. occasionally. Anyway, no eye contact. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, you can follow us at uh, SpecFicVic on Twitter. Uh, please sign up to the newsletter. We hope to talk about plans and what's happening with Speculate soon. And um, yeah, lots of stuff coming up. Um, hmm. As for me, I can finally shout things out uh, because I'm actually doing things for once with my own creative life, which is yes. I have a short story coming out in a anthology. Um, it's not an anthology. It's a collection of short stories. Um, 
Uh, it's called Strange Stories. It's volume one, and it's published by 42 Books. Mm. And if you like weird haunted forests and uh, vaguely Spanish Inquisition time travel horror, then read it. And I had a great time writing it, so I hope you enjoy reading it. You can follow me at the Pen of Joel on Twitter, and I'll actually tweet about it. I promise. <laughs> Um, thank you very much for listening uh, this year, everyone. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. I think Ian uh, can uh, restate uh, this as well. It's very fun to do this every year, and it's fantastic to talk to wonderful people uh, like Jay um, about writing experiences and being very, very honest and candid. And I think uh, a lot of that is useful. Fantastic. We will see you next year. And that wraps up our main podcasts for 2019. Thank you very much for listening throughout the year. It's been wonderful to do these episodes and we hope to keep doing them in the new year. The episodes will probably restart at around February 2020. There's going to be one more episode this year, but it's less of a podcast and more of an interview with some very interesting subjects uh, to talk about. We hope you join us for that. We're calling it our Christmas special. That should launch about a week from the publication date of this podcast. And as always... Thanks for listening.